so-called representation needs to be examined and peeled back layer after layer after layer. Because you can have a woman in any type of office, including especially a white woman, but that is not going to remove the harm that she causes within these spaces of power, especially considering that white women themselves, white women and femmes have huge amounts of power. Just because they may be women or may be affected by some marginalization, it does not remove their whiteness. And so many white people, including white liberals, no matter where white people are politically, they think that a certain stamp is going to protect them. And that includes religion. When we think about religion, how it's been used as ways to push fascism, including the weaponization of Christianity, right? And also thinking about colonization, they're thinking about the nuclear family. They're thinking about things that are so-called of God, but literally in their day-to-day, they only want to have that conversation when it's not Black people. School is in session, fam. I am Donovan. Welcome to another episode of Stranger Fruit. You are tuned into Summer School, our audio-only summertime series where we explore the last year across a few topics that we believe, as black and brown folks, it is important that we are well-versed in. Where were we a year ago and where are we now? We have some really dope guests joining us for this series, so let's get started with Chapter 5, Capitalism 101. If you don't already know, Stranger Fruit is a -a one-of-a-kind video podcast experience where you get a front-row seat to thought-provoking conversations featuring some of the most brilliant young voices from the black and brown diaspora. We discuss and debate an array of fascinating topics from sex and politics to religion and sports. We may not always agree, but we are firm believers that conflict and compassion are a great recipe for empathy. Have you ever thought about the state of the world and was like, what the absolute fuck is going on or is it just me? We have climate disasters happening all over the globe. Homelessness remains a constant issue. Our country allows big business to manufacture goods that are killing us and Americans are addicted to guns. This shit is outrageous and the more and more I think about it, the clearer it becomes that the biggest threat to the world is that it is run by people who claim to be righteous but often prove to be corrupt capitalists. Capitalism is costing us everything, including our very existence. For decades, conservatives have ignored the climate crisis, civil rights issues, and the needs of everyday people in favor of big business. Far-right politics has spread like a pandemic and continues to put the last century of progress in danger. From Italy to Brazil to right here in the U.S., extremists are deploying divisive tactics to keep us dazed and confused while they line their pockets keeping black and brown communities in despair. Capitalism will not save us. I repeat, capitalism will not save us. Shout out to Hope Giselle, Nadia Smalls, and my co-host Constanza Eliana for this epic conversation on why far-right politics is killing the world. Now let's jump in with Eliana who gets into the climate crisis. So I want to go ahead and get started with climate change. A lot of people don't realize that climate change and far-right politics are actually very much tied together. And I want to open it up with Florida. So um, the Florida, you know, hurricane happened. It devastated uh, parts of Florida. 
in particular, a specific section of Florida as well. Um, I believe it hit as a category four. And one of the very interesting things that came out of this, which I believe I first saw it from uh, Nina Turner, who is a politician, they had mentioned that every single Florida House Republican actually voted against disaster relief funding. And this was mentioned in an article in The Truth Out, as well as major media like CNN and, and NBC and all those people. So apparently days after Hurricane Ian, nearly every Florida Republican in U.S. Congress um, voted against a bill containing billions, billions, billions with a B in funding for disaster relief that officials could have access to begin recovery after the storm. Y'all, <laughs> why? Nadia, I want to start with you. Why do we think Republicans in particular, conservatives in particular, are so against this idea that they think it's an idea, right? A belief around climate change, which scientists have already told us it is absolutely a real thing. It is very devastating. Why do you think they're so against it, even as they see it actually affecting their own constituents? What do you think? Because it's all about white supremacy, capitalism, and ways that they can continue to stay in power and not only that, increase their power. I'm reminded of things such as Hurricane Katrina and the impact of that violence and how that is still something that's still being felt now. I'm thinking about Flint, Michigan. I'm thinking about Jackson, Mississippi as well, and thinking about the intersections of climate change and natural disasters, environmental disasters really, with anti-Blackness specifically and the racism and exploitation that comes with that. You know, like I've been saying before, all of these politicians are not only very ruthless, but at the core of this entire country, at the core of these institutions, it's white supremacist exploitation. You know, this is not something that's just being talked about willy-nilly. There are people who are, trigger warning, mentions of passing away, but there are people who are dead. There are people who literally already don't have it that now are continuing to be impacted by all of these bills that they've already been facing, right? So I think that that is such an interlinkage of these issues and the harm that comes with it. And also the fact that no matter how many times folks want to act as if it's a thing, you can't reform white supremacy. And white supremacy has very devastating consequences, specifically for Black and brown communities, including in this context in terms of what's happening in Florida and the absolute astronomical, horrendous um, state that continues to be left regarding folks there, the lack of aid, um, and how these politicians are. And I'll just put it simply, trash. <laughs> Period. Basura. Truly. <laughs> Thank you. Hope, I want to get your take on this additional context as well as what we were just mentioning. Um, there is another article that came out that said Florida came uh, into this hurricane season already having a, a shortage of affordable housing, particularly for people who are working in service jobs and other lower wage jobs. So the hurricane is actually really devastating for them because not only have uh, a lot of them lost their uh, homes, their apartment buildings, um, but if they're already working lower wage jobs, it's very difficult for them to just like pick themselves back up, you know, like the the bootstrap theory that we keep hearing about. Why do you think that um, conservatives are ignoring this base, even though they proclaim to be part of this, you know, uh, greater theory around the working class man? What do you think about that? 
So let's be very honest when we're talking about the people that are going to be affected by the working class, right? And a large part of the time, they they forget that the working class are the people that serve them until those people no longer can show up. But the thing about us as working class people is that we show up irregardless of the situation because we need the money that the capitalist system has put in place for us. Without the ability to be able to pay, right, to be able to have the basic necessities that I need for my children and to get them back and forth to school, to pay for daycare and all those other things, housing is the last thing that's on my mind, right? And oftentimes, one of the beauties about us working class people is that we work in community and in tandem with one another, right? So when we talk about the idea of having housing, that's less important to me because abuela, abuelo, tia, everyone is going to come together to help me figure that portion out. But if That's I'm not right. making money, right, then I can't do anything. And I think that conservatives have yet to experience that because we show up in spite of, we show up anyway. We have this resilience about us and the way that we look in community that says to them, it's okay, they'll figure it out. And I think that there has to come a point where we as working class citizens say, you know what, fuck it. I can't get to work and I'm not about to Uber. I'm not about to ask for another favor. I'm not about to pretend like it's okay when it's not. I couldn't get there because I can't, because I can't afford. And that bill that you did not pass does not allow me the frequency or the um, the ability to be able to just get up and go when I want to. And so find somebody else to wash your windows and clean your rafters today. I can't be there. Yeah, exactly. And it also reminds me of all of our community members who not only are dealing with perhaps poverty or low wage jobs and also the housing market just all across the country, but really in Florida being just completely unaffordable. I'm thinking about the people, the intersectionality of it all, right? Like the people who are really at the margins of all of this. And I'm thinking about the people who already had issues with safety and now they are trying to figure shit out as they have lost their homes. Maybe they've had to move out because of flooding. It it just... Um, I really think about those people in these times and these instances where we see politicians like really just playing with people's lives. And it seems really, really unfair for politicians to be constantly taking money and using these um, the climate crisis to kind of bolster their own political gains, for instance, like raising money for their politics. And right now we're going through an election season in a lot of states so I'm really thinking about those people where safety is always a concern, but especially right now, right, Hope? Like, it seems like people tend to forget about the trans community, tend to forget about people who are in Section 8 housing. And you know what I mean? Folks in the margins are going to get the, the, the shit end of this stick. And I think that we all know this, especially as Black and brown people sitting on this panel. They don't care about the folks that are going to be impacted. But it goes back to the point that I was just making, largely in part because we make it seem like they don't have to care um, in real time. It's not, it's not me saying that we don't have the conversations that, you know, need to be had. It's not me saying that we don't show up at the polls. And it's not even me saying that we don't lobby. What it is, is that it's kind of that same syndrome that we have as Black women that a lot of people or Black and brown women is that a lot of people look over us because we have this tenacity and we have this resilience about us that says she'll be all right. Like they don't need our help. They like they'll be. They always overcome. And I think right. you're talking about minority uh, minority groups of people. We kind of sort of reinforce that for them on a surface level, so much so that they've learned that 
we don't have to look deeper into it because they will figure it out at some point. Exactly. Yeah, it's that whole theory of like, you know, they're resilient already. Therefore, we can just continue ignoring them. <laughs> and exactly. It's so toxic. It's such a toxic world that we live in. Um, so all of this kind of really ties into uh, the far right politics that we are talking about. So um, the, there's record heat going all across the country. I know we talked about this on the show a couple of weeks ago where um, my experience with L.A., we had a heat wave come through. There's multiple states that had a heat wave as well. I was reading an article that said record heat um, began smothering Europe in May and roasting temperatures dried out rivers and fueled wildfires for prolonged stretches over the next few months. China um, had its most brutal summer since uh, modern records began in 1961. According to the country's um, meteorological authority with hot and dry weather reducing hydropower output in the manufacturing heavy south. And of course, over here in the United States, nearly half of the area um, of the lower 48 states experienced moderate to extreme drought this summer, according to National Oceanic Administration. This ties into politics as well, where we're talking about a time where global migration is now happening because of climate change. But what I was reading was that this global migration and this, you know, infestation, I want to say, of quote unquote conservative values are actually being fueled by both, right? Because climate change is affecting the global South the most. And as we were just talking about people of color, marginalized communities, and extremely impoverished communities. And because of all of that, there are conservative communities who are very anti-immigrant. They are refusing to understand why climate migration is even happening in the first place. And then, of course, we have U.S. imperialism, European imperialism, which is making the global South really suffer. And all of this propaganda of, you know, the United States is the best place to go, the American dream, yada, yada, yada. So all of these things kind of feed into each other. And I was reminded of the mass shooter from 2019 that wrote a manifesto about how immigrants were taking over white people's jobs. They were coming in and invading the country. And this level of anti-immigrant sentiment continues to be global. What I didn't realize is that in Brazil, they're actually having a very contentious election. Actually, somebody that I know personally um, from my research team, they had let me know like, hey, pay attention to Brazil because it is popping off over there. And I know that Hope and I are from the Latino community. We care a lot about our people. And it really just strikes me that the United States in a lot of ways kind of fosters or presents itself to be an inspiration for a lot of other countries because, again, of that imperialist propaganda that the United States is better than everyone. <laughs> and so a lot of countries are really kind of emulating the 2016 election, in my opinion. So, Nadia, I want to get your take on this. Have you been paying attention to, you know, what's going on in Brazil? I know there's stuff happening in Italy. They just got, you know, a, a, they just had a crazy election over there. Um, what are you thinking about the ways in which the United States far right is kind of, you know, seeping into the global politics? They're all connected. 
So as a student in so many educational spaces, and I am in a PWI of all places, so y'all can already imagine how that is. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so being in those type of spaces, one of the oh, like type of frustration that folks get is that I constantly emphasize that every single thing is connected. Nothing is ever separate. And I feel like what happens in the United States is not just like unique to it in a lot of ways. It's also something that other countries are emulating, right? Especially when thinking about white supremacy and how those also serve as foundations uh, within those environments, thinking about colonization, colonialism, imperialism. And another example that I want to give that's very frightening is Prime Minister Liz Trust over in the UK. So for those who are not aware of Liz Trust, she was recently appointed Prime Minister. Boris Johnson, who was the previous Prime Minister, he was basically kicked out. There were a lot of controversies throughout um, him being prime minister. But I have several articles here pulled up. And the reason why is because I kind of want to speak to how Liz Trust and her harm regarding climate policy is really something to think about as well. Yes. Tell us so, everything. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So as I am referring here to an article by Time, which is titled Why the UK's Financial Mess Has Ignited Calls to Double Down on Climate Investing, it speaks about how Liz Trust was speaking about a plan to curtail taxes for the wealthy, as well as her referring to climate activists as those who are anti-growth. So the problem with that type of language is the fact that around the world, there continues to be so many climate and environmental activists in general who are not only being demonized for wanting to continue to stress the urgency, because it's not like they just came out yesterday, right? This is something that's been happening for a very long time. When thinking about a lot of the Extinction Rebellion type of demonstrations that's been happening around the world, when thinking about Black Indigenous folks, Afro-Indigenous folks, Indigenous folks in general around the world who have been speaking to these very issues as well, it's a problem. And not only that, you know, Italy's soon to be new prime minister is also having a problem with climate policy, as well as being someone who is very anti-LGBT. Um, so I'm saying all of these things because ultimately capitalism and white supremacy, they're connected, they're inseparable. So when thinking about Liz Trust and the Conservative Party and all of these politics we're talking about, far right politics has always been here. It's always been present, right? Because when thinking about colonization, it's always going back to what Hope brilliantly stated as usual. It's always specifically our communities who are the most impacted and affected. And with these leaders, it's fascism, basically. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of this article that I was reading also around Italy's new, I, I can't remember if she's the prime minister or she's the president. I don't know how the politics in Italy goes really, but she's the new head over there. And they have so many similarities in the UK, now in Italy, Brazil, like all of these people have so many similarities. Brazil and Italy are the only places. In 2021, New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern emphasized after a right-wing terrorist killed over 50 people at a pair of mosques in her country saying, Quote, there is no question that ideas and language of division and hate have existed for decades, but their form of distribution, the tools of organization, they are new. 
In Israel, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu continues to put Israeli democracy in danger, flirting with the idea of judicial reform to appease his far-right anti-Arab political comrades who threaten his power using money and access as their biggest bargaining chip for control all while citizens are left to protest. Ultra-conservative organizations like Citizen Go claim to promote life, family and liberty while it is also the main online outlet for an unlikely coalition of the U.S. Christian right, militant European Catholics, Russian Orthodox hardliners and even sanctioned oligarchs all working in a concerted campaign to undermine reproductive and LGBTQ rights around the world. Even now, as Trump has been indicted for a third time, conservatives will still spread misinformation and encourage violence through dog whistle messaging. They will do anything to win. They will stop at nothing for power. And it would be in all of our best interest to remember that we have to exercise the power of our vote, voice, and dollar to push back against this well-coordinated, money-first, humanity-last system. Capitalism is a beast, and we have to see it for what it is. We cannot achieve a more equitable world if we continue to aspire to unreasonable wealth and censor materialism. To stand a chance against capitalism, we have to relinquish our own capitalistic mindset of overconsumption. Yes, we have a responsibility in this too. So stay woke, y'all. Now let's get back to Eliana. Hope, I am so glad that you are here today because I was reading another article um, from The Atlantic that presented a brand new label for me that I wish that I had known before. And it is so brilliant. So it's called gender washing. And political gender washing is when a political party hides repressive and authoritarian agendas behind a front of women's empowerment. And oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw this, I was like, that is exactly what is happening. There is so much gender washing, even in the Republican Party today, where not only is it gender, but it's also race. Because I remember when the woman in Texas, the Mexican born woman in Texas, won the Republican ticket. And they were claiming that we're not racist because we have an immigrant. We're not technically anti immigrant because we have an immigrant on the ticket. We're not anti-Black and we're not racist because we have Black Republicans. You know, there's a lot of this like gender and racial washing within the party. And it's also global. So Hope, what are your thoughts on this term? And does it accurately represent what we think is happening? Or do you think this is just like another label that we need to unpack? Like, you know, damn well. And I am so happy that you introduced <laughs> me to this term. Because yes. exactly right? what they be doing. And somebody in the comments, like, uh, very yeah. eloquently stated, like, Margaret Thatcher in England. It's one of those moments where I think when folks want to appear to be on the right, what they do is, is they forefront a movement or they forefront a marginalized group of people for the sake of being able to slide in some fuck shit on the back end and hope that we don't notice it, right? And... Whenever we have these conversations and they pertain to anything other than the right wing, the conservative view or the whatever is going on, but the conservative party has power over them, you'll always find that there's always going to be some sort of social turmoil that happens either right before or right after. And that has never been by accident. It's always been strategic. And I think that 
Um, because Nadia always talks about it when she does her breakdowns of different ways in which the government be out here trying to pull the, the wool over our eyes. And what they simply do is they throw the rock in one direction and then they light the fire in the other direction and they try to make you figure out whether or not it's more important to go and get the belongings out of your car or put the fire out. When what we really need to be noticing is that both of those things are important. And if we work together, we could actually neutralize them both at one point. But as a society and as social beings, what we tend to do is lean into the space that seems to be the most dangerous, right? Which is the fire. And in this particular analogy, what a lot of us tend to do is lean into the minority issue that appears to be the fire. Because over here, this little rock, that little window that's broke, it's been broken for about six months and they've been allowing bugs and everything else to climb up in there. But we finished that fire. We put that fire out of over here. Exactly. And they do it all the time. Every day. They do it every single every day. <laughs> and it's very difficult to talk about these types of things on Instagram and Twitter without somebody being triggered, without somebody being like, well, you know, we have to talk about this because of that and blah, blah, blah. And it turning into this whole divisive argument around how Republicans aren't really that racist and the woke politics and all of this stuff. They really try to push it back in, into your face and say that you're actually the problem and it's not them. That's why I thought this particular term of gender washing was such a perfect way to just correlate how not only Christians use far-right politics for their benefit, but white feminism uses far-right politics for their benefit in order to suppress this whole idea that, you know, oh, we're not against women. We're just against woke politics, right? Or we're not against people of color. We're just against all of the rhetoric around race or critical race theory in particular. Um, Nadia, I want to get your take on, you know, this as well around how religion plays a role in these far-right politics and just how hypocritical that is because it doesn't seem like they truly understand what it is that they're saying <laughs> when they bring in religion and white Jesus into the conversation. Oh, I 100% think that they understand. As someone who has, okay. as someone who's from, born and raised in Savannah, Georgia, also has ties in Charleston, um, and has seen how white people maneuver uh, in the South, I think that when it concerns a lot of these politicians, including white women in general, in any space, right? Even in academia, even in social work, whatever the case may be, they know and what their priority is, where their expertise is, is manipulation. Because when you have a society that has been built and constructed of you constantly having your way, you feel that you are on the top of the world to continue to use those very same ways of occupying space to cause harm and so much detriment. I use this recently when talking about something else, but white feminism is basically like trigger warning TMI, but looking at a bunch of feces and then someone tries to put a bow on it. There's nothing there. There's nothing of substance. There's nothing important. It's just a bunch of BS that people want to sit there and coddle just so they can make themselves feel better. And I even right. think that white feminism is something that's connected to the topic of a certain someone that we will be discussing later in this conversation. But even when thinking Ooh. about Italy's, <laughs> right, even when thinking about Italy's uh, new soon-to-be prime minister, I was watching 
Al Jazeera yesterday an episode where it was talking about the impact of her far right politics. And there was an older white Italian woman who basically said, well, you know, that she's a strong woman. And it's like, okay, this is one of the reasons why and hope literally has had these same conversations as well why so-called representation needs to be examined and peeled back layer after layer after layer. Because you can have a woman in any type of office, including especially a white woman, but that is not going to remove the harm that she causes within these spaces of power, especially considering that white women themselves, white women and femmes have huge amounts of power. Just because they may be women or may be affected by some marginalization, it does not remove their whiteness. And so many white people, including white liberals, no matter where white people are politically, they think that a certain stamp is going to protect them. And that includes religion. When we think about religion, how it's been used as ways to push fascism, including the weaponization of Christianity, right? And also thinking about colonization, they're thinking about the nuclear family. They're thinking about things that are so-called of God, but literally in their day-to-day, they only want to have that conversation when it's not Black people. They only want to have that conversation when it's not Black trans people. They only want to have that conversation as long as it's not Black or Brown immigrants who have an intersection of all of those identities. So it's hypocrisy, really. And it continues to show the violence of how it's not just in one country or in one specific place, but all over when you're talking about the violence of white supremacy, anti-Blackness, transphobia, ableism is 1000% a part of these conversations as well when thinking about its linkage to policy and the restrictions that come with it. And also thinking about the ways in which just because you want to color over crap doesn't mean that it's going to smell great. It's actually going to continue to smell like fung. So I think keeping those things in check and having those realities of not going by smoke and mirrors, but diving even further and being really honest about the continued realities that we're being presented with here is incredibly important, especially when thinking about how a lot of these folks claim to have so-called values when their values are rooted in just protecting their own behinds, living behind some false sense of belief that they're doing the right thing, but they know good and darn well that they're corrupt. They know exactly what they're doing. They, their ancestors have been playing these games their entire lives, their entire lineage. When it concerns white people and even some non-Black folks with their proximities to whiteness, even some Black folks who may sell out, a lot of them know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing when they're continuing to abide by these systems of harm and the exact direct effects that that's going to continue to cause. And to land my plane, um, I think what bothers me so much about watching a lot of news or just like things across social media is folks ha- acting as if these things are just happening now when there have been so many particularly marginalized folks, especially Black people, who have been sounding off the alarm as we, especially all of us with our intersections, have literally been voicing these things since the very beginning. Nadia, you said that thing precisely right. We have been sounding the alarm bells, calling people's attention to the games these people continue to play in our faces, and it can be incredibly frustrating to have our warnings go ignored, but we have to keep pushing for the world we deserve. So our thanks to Hope Giselle, Nadia Smalls and Constanza Eliana for giving us plenty of food for thought. 
We will be back next week for our final installment of Summer School. If you have enjoyed these conversations, please give us a five-star review and follow us at The Stranger Fruit on social media, and we will see you next time. Remember to be kind, be curious, and be fruitful. Peace.